there's been lots of prophecy. Uh, we've seen lots of prophetic literature here and gone through lots of prophetic chapters in the book of Isaiah. But this really gets to the the height that it becomes very. There, this this is uh, as it says apocalyptic literature. This is the the revelation, if you will, of the Old Testament in Isaiah chapters 24 through 27. And I don't really want to take a long time tonight. We're just trying to get some sort of uh, summary, some sort of overview in these times through the book of Isaiah, as we did last week where we went through, what was it, 13 chapters and and notice the notes of judgment that are being pronounced upon these nations. And one of the things that I had mentioned to you last week was that it's doubtful that any of those messages of judgment ever got to those nations. In other words, it was actually a message for the people of Israel. God wanted the people of Israel to know that he was, in fact, sending his judgment upon uh, the nations. I suppose if, uh, of all of the difficult ministries that we read about in the Bible, that Isaiah had the most difficult. He knew ahead of time that he would go and preach and nobody would listen. And that indeed was his uh, commissioning from God. I want you to go and preach this message and, and no one will listen. And you see Isaiah in Isaiah 24 through 27 doing his best to draw the people in, to call them. He so wants them to hear and so wants them to listen and, and trust the Lord. That really is the message of, of this apocalyptic section of the book of of Isaiah. He wants them to trust the Lord and he, he delivers the message. He brings it straight. He hits them right between the eyes with truth and he longs for them to hear the message and to believe it all the while knowing that they wouldn't. I wonder what kind of ministry I would have if I knew every week, uh, if God told me every week, there's going to be people who are going to come and they're going to sit and they're going to hear and they're not going to listen to a word you say. It's not going to make a difference in their lives. They're not going to change. What kind of ministry would I have? I was thinking about that this week as I prepared to lead us through these, these chapters. I thought almost, just as my sermon tonight, just to read these chapters verbatim. Because it's so vivid, uh, the picture is so vivid that Isaiah presents to us. But what I think I'll do is just read some sections with a little bit of comment, set it in, in, set it in some kind of context for you so that you can see exactly what's going on, and then we'll try to make application to our lives. Last week, the application that we made, and I hope that you got it, was I kept referencing this, coming back to this over and over again. Since all these things are true, what manner of people ought you to be? Since all these things are true, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, today we'll come to a different uh, application, maybe not an altogether different application, but to a different application as we come to Isaiah chapter 24 through 27. One of the things that you'll notice about Isaiah chapter 24 is how it, it begins. Behold the Lord. Behold Yahweh. And if you were in the Sunday school class this morning, the bodybuilders class this morning, you'll say, you'll remember I said that I think of two things. When I think of this word, behold, the first thing I think about is Linus, the Peanuts cartoon, Linus uh, coming across the stage in the Christmas cartoon and reading from Luke chapter 2. Behold, 
The second thing I think about is August 7th, 1993, Greenville, North Carolina, Temple Free Will Baptist Church, 2.30 in the afternoon. The, the, the doors to the back of the church opened, the light of heaven shone in, the trumpet sounded, the angels sang, and I beheld her glory, the glory as of the only wife of Joe, right? And uh, she was going to become my wife, and I beheld, and, and my eyes were focused. And that's something that every time I see that word, I can't get that picture out of my mind. This is something to be stunned at, something to be in awe of. Behold what the Lord, Yahweh, He Himself, God in all of His glorious presence, God in all of His glorious attributes, is doing something. And this is stunning to Isaiah. He, he almost can't believe what he's saying. He almost can't believe what's coming out of his mouth himself. But nonetheless, as a faithful messenger, he must deliver this message to Israel. And what is it? The Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. What kind of message is that? What kind of burden is that? Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. That is a message of judgment. And that is how we begin this apocalyptic section, this apocalyptic uh, part of the book of Isaiah. The Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. This is something that goes beyond what took place in the what was coming in the Babylonian captivity, though that would be some awful, something awful. It was something that would go beyond that. God's judgment upon the nations precludes or, or, or leads us into this statement about God emptying the earth, making it desolate. Notice how he says, twists its surface and scatter its inhabitants. There's nobody who is untouched by this. It doesn't matter if you have a high standing, a high social standing, a high economic standing, a high religious standing, or a low one, as it is with the people, so with the priest, verse 2, with the slave, so with his master, with the maid, so with her mistress, with the buyer, so with the seller, with the lender, so with the borrower. You get the picture here. Isaiah wants to make sure that he, he met, makes this, this is all over the earth. It is something that is going to touch everywhere, every place, every person, no matter what the standing. What is it? Verse 3, the earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered. Why? Because the Lord has spoken his word. That's the, that's the essence of this message. The first three verses are the essence of the message. God is going to empty the earth. He's going to make it desolate, twist its surface, strike out. Everybody is going to affect everybody. And you have your, your assurance of this because God has spoken. God has decreed and this will, in fact, take place. Now, this worldwide, this earthwide judgment is further described in verse 4. The earth, and this this apocalyptic literature has a poetic ring to it, uh, painting a picture for us that we can just see what is happening. We have this this beautiful language. Well, it's not beautiful language, but this poetic language that's laid out for us. The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. You see this this 
utter despair that is being brought upon the whole world, the entire earth. It lies defiled, Isaiah sees. He sees in verse 5 that it lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. Now the question is, what is that everlasting covenant? Depending on how you interpret this, this section of apocalyptic literature, some are going to say it's the Mosaic covenant, some think it's the Abrahamic covenant. I'm not sure that it has to be specific to, to one of those. I think it's just just the, 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 the implicit covenant that God has with people that they ought to obey. Particularly, his people ought to obey. But they defiled the earth, and therefore, the consequences are coming. The judgment is coming. The punishment is coming. In fact, it says, verse 6, Therefore, a curse devours the earth and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. You see all of this this judgment that's just being poured out again. There's poetic language such that it helps to describe and, and can I say vivify, make it vivid. The picture of what Isaiah is trying to say when he says down, they don't drink wine and singing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. Verse 9, the wasted city is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none can enter. This is something, as I said, that's more than the desolation that happens in the Babylonian captivity. This is something that is, that is shed upon the entire earth. And Isaiah is privy to this. He's understanding something about this. God is revealing something to us. And and, and it's a reminder to us that there is a day of judgment coming. A day of judgment being poured out. The hour of trial, John says, uh, uh, the Lord says in in, uh, Revelation chapter 3, the hour of trial that is to come on the whole earth. This judgment. And you can see what, what is spoken of here. In Isaiah chapter 24. Desolation verse 12 is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruins. For thus it shall be in the midst of the earth among the nations. As when an olive tree is beaten. As at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done. Everything is spattered. Everything is destroyed. That's the picture here. There's no fruit left. That's the picture here. Now. You have this kind of strange verse in the middle of chapter 24, and I want to read it to you and try to give you some explanation. They lift up their voices. They sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They shout from the west. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise, a glory of the righteous, of glory of the righteous one. But I say, well, stop right there, of the glory of the righteous one. All of a sudden, in the midst of this judgment that Isaiah is speaking of, this worldwide, this earth-shattering judgment, you hear out of nowhere this, this song of praise, this Mad, uh, a shout of majesty to the Lord, this, this song of glory to the Lord. And the question is, many people ask, who is singing this and, and why? I don't know that I can answer exactly who is singing it, but I believe that I can answer why. And it's something that we see in the, these chapters to come. 
What we're seeing here, and this is something Isaiah wants to press on the people of Israel. This is something that Isaiah wants to press on us. It is the personal, what is recognized here is the personal activity of God in this judgment. This is, they are recognizing that this judgment is not coming from some natural disaster. This isn't just because the earth isn't twisting because of some earthquake. This is the direct result of the involvement of Almighty God. And he is in the middle of this chapter. He has been giving, pray, be giving praise. He has, he has given praise and glory and majesty. He is being exalted as the one who is doing exactly this. You see what he's doing. Isaiah is pressing this home to the people. He so wants them to hear and so wants them to pay attention that he says, this is God's doing. Wake up. And then he goes right back in, 17 through 23, describing this worldwide catastrophe. This worldwide catastrophe. Many commentators believe that what he's being describing here is that which John describes in the book of Revelation. Nothing more than the seven years of tribulation and great tribulation to come upon the whole earth. Chapter 25 is, is Isaiah's response to all of this. O Lord, he says in verse 1, You are my God, I will exalt you, and I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. I think that's the heart of Isaiah's message. God, you've done this. God, you are bringing about your plans from before the foundation of the world. You, are, you, are, uh, you have spoken. You are faithful. You are sure. You do what you say. Now listen. We might not be the brightest bulbs in the, in, the, in the lamp. We might not be the sharpest knives in the drawer. But we can read. And when we read the scriptures, we understand that God has spoken and that he will most surely do what he has said he will do. What Isaiah is saying here is God, he's looking back, he's looking to this prophecy as God has unfolded it, as God has brought it to his attention, this worldwide catastrophe that is coming, and he says, Lord, this is all part of your plan. And notice the personal involvement again that Isaiah sees. Verse 3, verse 2, you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. You do these things. This is, this is God's doing. And Isaiah is responding to the faithfulness of God. And because God is faithful to bring judgment, God is also faithful to bring blessing. And that's what he talks about in verse 6 when he talks, when he says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, and aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away the tears 
tears from all the faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. Why? For the Lord has spoken. God was involved in bringing the judgment and God is involved in bringing this period of blessing upon his people to remove those tears, to take away the sorrow and the grief and the agony. And then he says it will be said in that day, verse 9, here it is again, behold, this is our God we have, you can hear Isaiah sort of uh, saying the words of the people who are around at that time. Behold, this is our God. We've waited for him that he might save us. This is our Lord. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. And then echoing the words of the psalm this morning, let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. You see what Isaiah is doing? God is the active one in bringing judgment. God is the active one in bringing his blessing of salvation and setting up his eternal kingdom. And he is pressing the people. He's faithful. God does not speak. God's not just, you know, what, what, what uh, my dad used to say, do you think I'm speaking for my health? He'd always ask me that. Do you think I, that as if to say, listen to me, I'm not just talking to hear myself talk. Isaiah says, that's God. God is not speaking for his health, as it were. God's not just speaking so that you would hear some words. He is speaking to bring his truth to bear on your life. And what he says, he most certainly will do. And that's why he comes in chapter 26 and he begs people to trust him. Why? Because God is faithful. He's trustworthy. You will keep him in perfect peace, he says. Look at verse 3 of chapter 26. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. And and listen, if nobody else is hearing this message, Isaiah is hearing this message. Trust in the Lord forever. Why? For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. He has humbled. And this is is what we're going to see coming in chapter 26 and 27. He's humbled at one point... um, Let me see if I can find it. At one point, it says, God, he spreads out his hand like a swimmer. It's somewhere in 26 or 27. Where is it? The end of 25, yeah. He spreads out his hands. Where is it? Okay, he will spread out his hands in verses, verse 11. In the midst of it, as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim, the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands. It's like God... You know, spreading out his hands like a swimmer, just bringing it all to to naught, bringing it all down, leveling his judgment. And he says, listen, God is the one who is humbled. God is the one who is brought down. And God is also the one who will raise up. And what is he asking us to do? What is he telling his people to do? He's telling his people to trust God. To trust the message of God. To trust his truth. And, and, and if I have anything to, to say to you tonight, it's that. It's, it's this. You can rely on God to do what he says he'll do. This, this, this word is, is not, um, say it's not rocket science. He, just take it and believe it. And, and you may not understand it perfectly. And of course we don't understand everything perfectly, especially apocalyptic literature. But I can tell you this, whatever God said he'll do, he will do. And you can bank on it. You can trust him. And that's, that's the secret, if I can say it this way, that's the secret to peace in these days. 
perfect peace, when everything around us is in chaos and everything around us is, is, is upset and everything around us is uneven, what, is perf- what, what keeps us in perfect peace is having a mind and a heart that stayed on God, like we said upon this morning, stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed. Finding, as he promised, perfect peace and perfect rest. Well, down to verse um, 20 of chapter 26. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. Now we see him going back into this message of judgment. The Lord is coming from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the bloodshed on it and will no more cover its slain. And then in chapter 27, he brings out this picture of Leviathan. Leviathan is this, this uh, we can call the sea serpent. Uh, Leviathan is this picture of evil. It is evil personified. In that day, he says, in that day, the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. You, you must be able to connect this with what John said in the book, in, in the book of Revelation. Because this is, this is God bringing his punishment, bringing evil to, to account. The, the one who would be the destroyer of his people. The one who would want to come and, 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 and destroy God's garden, as it were, is himself going to be laid low. And what he's saying here is God renewing his people. God, even in the midst of this of this great judgment that is to come upon the whole earth, the one that is where God is striking, God is leveling, God is laying out his hand. What he is saying here is that God is also going to raise up his people, create for them a place. In that day, verse 12, from the river Euphrates to the brook Egypt, the Lord will thresh out grain and you will be gleaned one by one, O people of Israel. And in that day, a great trumpet will be blown. And those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out to the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. Something's going to happen. God somehow is going to bring his people. To worship him as he brings his judgment upon the earth. We understand that there is a coming day of worldwide judgment, as I said. A coming day of worldwide judgment. When God will unleash the fury of his wrath upon the earth. It's coming. You can bank on it. We say this is... This is hard. This is difficult. This is scary. This is fearful. Of, sh- of course it is. For certain. For sure. Where is the secret of your peace in these days? Your peace comes as your heart is stayed upon him. And his redemption. His promise. Everyone who has taken refuge in him. 
he says, shall be saved. What do we, we, we said last week as we went through this section on those 13 chapters, I think it was, or 10 chapters on those messages of judgment, that the message is this, since all these things are true, what kind of people ought you to be? Maybe we can modify that a bit this week and say this, because of God's promise to humble the inhabitants of the earth, how ought you to trust him? How ought your heart to rest in him tonight? What would that look like if you said, God, I know, I know that judgment is coming. And I don't want to be like those people that we're hearing in Isaiah's day. I don't want to be like those people who, who hear but don't listen. Lord, I want to hear and I want to listen. And, and I want my, my heart to be stayed on you. I want my heart to be set on you now for your glory. Because you are the everlasting rock. A number of years ago, I was in uh, Virginia and with friends there at a church in Monroe, Virginia, and I was reading Psalm 61. And as I read this psalm, this, this uh, phrase caught my attention. He says, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The Lord is the everlasting rock. David in this psalm sees himself as a sailor who's gone overboard. He sees himself in the midst of the stormy sea and the waves are overtaking him. But he looks up and he sees the mighty rock against which which the waves are bashing and the waves are crashing and that rock is moving not. And he says, from the end of the earth, I I, I cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to that rock that is higher than I. We know that that rock has a name. And his name is Jesus. And he is our trust and our hope, both now and forevermore. And what's amazing is that as we get into the book of Isaiah even more, Isaiah is bringing that, he's leading us right to that, right? And as he gets into the servant songs, he gets right into that and he presents to us that great servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, as our eternal redemption. Let's pray. Father, we understand that there is a day coming of judgment that will be brought upon the whole earth. We know that you have spoken, and as you have spoken, so shall it be. We know that you are the one personally, powerfully involved in bringing judgment. And I pray, O Lord, that you would Help us to live, help us to live in light of peace that is ours in Christ. Resting in you, resting on your eternal word, on your changeless ways. Lord, I pray that we would not be like the hardened hearts, but that we would be soft and pliable in your hands, listening to what you say and obeying you that you might get glory in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name, and together all God's people said, amen. Thank you for being here. God bless you.